0: Alright, I know I didn't give much time, didn't give much time for it, but Well, we are, the, we are in a three-week mini-series right now, and this series we're calling it Together. And the purpose of this is that we want to start off 2018 and explore, as we, we launched into last week, what it means together, what God is inviting us into as a church community and also the story that he's inviting you to. So it's together with one another as Seacoast Church, but also together with God and his mission. And, and so we're taking three weeks to explore that, to talk about it. But it's not just about, in fact, we're not emphasizing what we are going to do so much. We talk about a little bit of what God's calling us to do specifically. But more of, we want to, last week, for example, we started, we focused on what is the Why? why do we do what we do? And if we don't start with that, then all of the other stuff doesn't matter. And so we focused on the fact that because of God's love for us, because he poured out his life for us, because all things we need are already supplied in Christ, we can then join with him in his mission. Uh, Next week we're actually going to be looking at what does it look like as a community together and what is just the history as we look through scripture of how God uses a community of faith to join with him in mission. So we'll be exploring that and giving you some challenges corporately. But now this week what we want to do is focus a little bit and it's a little bit more on the personal side of if you are together with God growing as a disciple of Christ and, and growing in your walk with him and we'll talk about what that looks like. But how do we Grow in our faith? How do we move from unbelief to belief? And in doing that, how do we keep going? How do we maintain what we need for the journey? Because sometimes the life of faith is really difficult. And unfortunately, we see a lot of people run out of steam. And those who maybe at one point had a passion, all of a sudden it's gone. So today, what we want to talk about is how do we remember? what actually gives us what we need to sustain the Christian walk in that journey. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your words that are given to us in Scripture. I thank you that you do not leave us in silence, but we can hear from you and about you. And so, God, I ask now that your words would be mine, or my words would be yours. And I pray that you'd speak to every heart here in this room, and God, would you give us what we need when we look to you, everything that we need for the life you've called us to? So we ask God that you'd move in this place now, in your name. Amen. As we get started, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of First Timothy. If you are um, unfamiliar with Scripture, First Timothy is near the end of the Bible. And 1 Timothy is a letter that's written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he writes to someone named Timothy. And Timothy was a student of Paul. Um, you can think of him as a disciple. So Timothy is one that Paul was teaching and he was pouring into his life. And Timothy at the time was a leader. He was a pastor over a church in a city called Ephesus. It was one of the largest Christian communities in the ancient world at the time. And so Timothy, these letters written by Paul to Timothy, one thing I love about them and why we're spending some time in them these weeks is that Paul is writing a lot of practical things. A lot of, here's what God, this is what it looks like to be on mission with God. This is what it looks like to be caught up as, as a... A disciple of Jesus, or is someone growing in your walk with God and growing in your faith, these are things that it looks like. So these letters, Paul is writing practical instructions to Timothy. But what I also really appreciate about these letters is sprinkled throughout his instructions, Paul continues to go back to saying, "But Timothy, what you need to remember is, don't forget, and he gives them all these instructions of how he can maintain. His walk, how he can find strength for the journey, fuel to continue on. So in the midst of instruction, Paul continues to point him back to the most important things, and that is his life based and rooted in Christ. And so what we're going to look at today is some practical things of what what are some of the marks of when we talk about we want to grow as disciples, we want to be together with God. What are some of those practical things that looks like, but sprinkled in there is how do we find the fuel we need to maintain that walk. So uh, but as we start, let me start with this that on the top level of why we exist as a church I talked about last week is we exist to help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. Our heart, our desire is to reach people who are far from God and raise them up in Christ. We want to reach people who are near to God and help you ra- be raised up in life in Christ and experience all that that means. We believe that following Jesus is the best way to live. We believe that a life caught up in Christ is a true life that you experience freedom that can't be found anywhere else and so our heart is that each one of us can experience life in Christ our heart is that your friends your family your coworkers can experience life in Christ and we believe as that happens that transforms our families it transforms our city it transforms our communities as we are being transformed so that's on top level now, when Paul is writing to Timothy, we believe that that is his top level as well. He's very concerned that people understand what this life in Christ looks like. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he actually sets up, we're not going to spend time in, first, uh, in chapter 1 too much today because we did last week, but verse 5, he kind of sets up the goal of his instruction, why they do what they do. And, and this is that top level, and, and I think that this is what he means by life in Christ. And in verse 5, you might, you'll see here in chapter 1, he says, the goal of our instruction is love. Now, he continues that sentence, and I'll get to that in a moment, but he starts off and says, the goal of what we're trying to accomplish, Timothy, is love. Now, what this means is, first of all, he wants to root the, our faith and our walk with Christ is rooted in love. First of all, it's rooted in the love that God has for us. We talked about that last week. It's very important that we understand that we have nothing if we don't anchor our lives in what God has poured out and done for us. And so he says the goal of our instruction that you may understand the love of God and be caught up in God's love for you. Now there's some practical implications for that. Jesus actually said the greatest command is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so because of God's love for us, our lives are rooted in that, then we are called to be people of love. First of all, a love for God and a love for one another. So that is the top level, what Paul says, this is the the goal of our instruction. And the rest of the, the letter starts to break that down. Now, I want you to see specifically what type of love, what do we mean? If it's rooted in the love of God, it's important that we understand the adjectives after that because he says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. It's love from a pure heart. Pure heart means untainted love. There's no false motives in this. It's not love that is loving someone to get something in return. It's not love so that you can manipulate people. It's not love for our community because somehow there are projects that that become a, a check mark in your life. Oh, I loved that person, and now I gained something. Paul is saying in Uh, This type of love, that is this untainted love, is the goal. It's a selfless love as God selflessly loves us. When we didn't deserve it, he loved. So that's the first part. The other part of it is, Love from a pure heart. So the next one is good conscience. A good conscience is pretty much what it sounds like. And what he's talking about is when we understand the true love of God and we have the love of God in us, the the language here is what he's referring to is if when we truly grasp it, you can live your life with a pretty clean conscience, not even pretty clean, but a clean conscience. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Could you imagine going through life and never having any regrets for something you said or you did? That would be pretty amazing. I know a couple of you maybe don't have regrets, but you should. I'm just telling you. So, and so this, is, this good, clean conscience is actually referring to, and this actually has a moral aspect to it. A way to think of it is this. If we were to look at, let's just say, the Ten Commandments, which are written in the book of Exodus chapter 20, and if you were to follow the Ten Commandments perfectly, which you don't, and the reason we know we don't is because Christ came to live that life for us and to die to forgive us for the sins because we miss the mark. It's the way it goes. But, so, but if we were to live the Ten Commandments perfectly, we would have love with a clean conscience. Because if you break them down, you will see that these are all about giving life and never taking. Just do not lie. It means that you wouldn't be deceiving others or manipulating others. That truth is truth. Uh, Even if you have things, do not covet. You're a content person. You find what you need and what you have. You trust God. You trust others. And you're not seeking after things. Everything down to murder. Do not murder. Anyone in here ever? No, don't. So, um, but... Do not murder. We all think like, oh, I don't do that one. I guess I got at least one out of 10. Well, then Jesus said, well, you've heard it said do not murder, but I tell you, don't even harbor hate for someone in your heart. Ah, okay, got that. But so when he says love with a good conscience, he's actually referring to that moral aspect of it. And this is not like, okay, fight yourself and make yourself so moral that you have a clean conscience. And ultimately, this goal, this love that God has for us is that highest level. And then the third part of it is love from a pure heart with a good conscience and with a sincere faith. I love this Greek word here. Sometimes the Greek words don't add to the text. This one does. Sincere here actually means unhypocritical. It's literally that word. And in Greek, hypocrite was also the word they used for actor. And and so what they would do in the ancient world, in the Greek world, is actors would wear masks, masks that would portray their emotion. And so it, he's essentially saying we want faith that's not having a mask that says one thing, but inside there's something else. And so he says the goal is love that's unhypocritical. It's not that we love people, or, or maybe, you know, one of our goals is to love our city. So maybe we're involved in, in taking care of the poor and the homeless. If we we're there, and we're pouring out our love for people, and as soon as they walk away, we just think, oh, can't stand these people, but I'm going to do it, and I'll put on that smile when they're there. Paul would say that's not even genuine at all. That's not the goal of, that's not the life of Christ. The goal ultimately is a pure love, untainted with a good conscience, and unhypocritical, even in the church, that we can genuinely love one another, and it's unhypocritical. It's not just a mask that we put on when we gather on Sundays. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those that I think that sounds pretty good, and I also think it sounds pretty exhausting. It sounds very difficult to think, wow, how can I be like that all the time? And so now I want to turn over to the book of uh, First Timothy, now chapter 4. And what we want to look at is, how does this break down in practical ways, and how do we not lose steam in the midst of it? There's a story in, in, uh, something happened in 1999, actually. There's a golfer named Payne Stewart. And Payne Stewart was, in in the 90s, had quite a bit of success as a golfer. And in 1999, it was October, and he got on his Learjet with a few other, uh, another golfer and and, uh, his business manager and some a golf course designer, and they were going off to a business meeting, and they left from Florida. And they took off, and they started on course to where they were heading. And less than an hour into the flight the ground control lost contact with the plane. And they eventually found out the plane was still heading in the same direction. It was still on course, but there was no communication with the ground. So eventually, uh, the Air Force scrambled some fighter jets to fly up there and fly next to the plane and try to get their attention, to escort them to find out what's happening. And as the pilots look into the plane, they couldn't see inside. They saw no movement at all. All they saw was windows that were frosted over. There was ice inside the plane. What had happened was it lost cabin pressure, and so what was on the inside of the plane, the atmosphere inside, was the same as outside. Eventually, the plane ran out of fuel and crashed in South Dakota, killing everyone on board. But actually, when they uh, did all the investigation, they found that the crash isn't what killed everyone, that they had already died. You see, they died for the lack of oxygen and the lack of heat. Everyone on plane died. The plane was going in the right direction. The plane was heading where they wanted it to head for a while. And so, but the problem was that the people inside ran out of fuel. You see, it's very easy to look at the life of Christ and say, here's our goal of this pure love. It's very easy as a church to say, we're going to be about all these things, and we can head in the right direction. We can do the right things. We can be moving in that direction, but if we don't have the oxygen and the heat that we need as followers of Jesus. We can do all the right things, but eventually we'll crash. And so as Paul gives these instructions to Timothy now, explaining the life of Christ, he keeps going back to, here's where we're going, but don't forget to breathe. Don't forget the air you need. Don't forget the heat, because you might do all the right things, but if you crash for a lack of oxygen... What's the point? So let's look in First Timothy now in chapter four and find what does it what is the characteristics that we see here of how Paul describes, and, and again we looked at it a little bit last week, so this is the next section where Paul's describing the life of Christ, practical instructions to Timothy. And in the midst of this, where do we find the oxygen, the fuel that we need to breathe? And we're gonna pick it up in verse six. He starts off and says. In pointing out these things to the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ. So before we move on with that, we need to know, okay, what happened, verses one through five? He says, in pointing out what things? Well, Paul, just quickly, he addresses, in the church, he said, there's going to be people who start teaching things that are not true. They're going to start teaching things like abstain from marriage, don't eat certain types of food, and it was this form of what was called asceticism. It was a faith that was, uh, to kind of make faith miserable. It said, beat yourself and, and don't enjoy anything in life because if you do, that's probably not godly. So it literally went to inflicting pain and harm on yourself so that you could be holy. It was that kind of teaching. And Paul's saying, this is not truth. And, and this is actually the... the this early movement led to the monastic movement where some people would go out and live in caves in the desert and study scripture all day. And that's all they did because they didn't want to enjoy anything that God gave to them. Now, if you feel called to go live in a cave in the desert, that's okay. You're welcome to do it, but it's not prescribed in scripture, okay? So the difference is some people may feel called to do that, more power to you. Go have fun. Um, but this is not more, you're not more spiritual or holy. And so there's some people starting to say, oh, if you are married, that can't be as spiritual. Or if you enjoy that food, that can't be spiritual. And, and so Paul is saying th- this is adding to the truth of God. And so if you speak against those things now, and pointing out the errors of people's ways, as he's writing to Timothy, you're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith, and a sound doctrine which you have been following. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now, i got to say a statement here. <laughs> I know that I, this is not the PC version, okay? I get it. And, and, and this, is, this isn't down-talking anybody, anyone's age. This is a colloquial phrase, kind of like old wives' tales, which... I don't even think that's PC anymore. I'm not sure what, what is the version of that, what we can say now for that, but it's tales, and so that's all he's referring to here is saying there was fables, there's these things that weren't true that people would believe and grasp onto is what he's saying. He said, so have nothing to do with those things that aren't anchored in truth. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise for the present life, also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially for those who believe. Now, he starts off in this first section that we look at today, and he's dealing with Timothy's character. He's talking about character issues, things that are important in your life. So he says, pointing these things out, having sound doctrine, um, godliness, and, and pointing these things out. And now in this, we also see that he gives us a few clues of what is the air that we need to breathe. The first one is, instead of false teaching, he says, be nourished on the words of God. Be nourished and fed on the words of God. It is so important for those of us who want to live a life of faith to constantly be filled with the Word of God. And to be nourished by it, things when we gather here on Sundays, we hope is a moment where you can be nourished by it, where you hear teaching, where you hear truth. We work hard to make sure we teach truth. Be nourished by that, but it's not just on Sundays. We want to be nourished by the Word of God, means throughout the week, meditate on it, focus on it be acquainted with it. Now, I know sometimes you read things in the Bible, you'll read stuff and say, I have no idea what I just read. I I run into that all the time. You read something, you say like, okay, this, I hope it makes more sense in Hebrew because this doesn't, this doesn't work. Or you read things and you think, seriously, God, these, this is the story you want us to remember about your people? These people are really messed up, and those usually are pretty encouraging to think, I'm, you know, I'm not as bad as King David, the man after your own heart. <laughs> so, but if we're constantly being nourished with the Word of God, we're seeing God's heart. We're seeing how He responds to imperfect people. We're seeing His character, His love for all of His creation. And we're seeing, and here's the most important thing. We're seeing how in every story throughout Scripture, Mankind falls short, but God doesn't. We see His faithfulness. We see that He meets us in our weaknesses. We see that His love overcomes all of our fears and our doubts and our lack of faith. The more we understand in Scripture, the more we keep seeing that our God continues to come through time and time again, even when we don't. And so we get nourished by that because it becomes more and more about the story of our God and it's not the story of my failures. It's his success. And it's nourishing. So Paul says, Timothy, you're going to hear a lot of things. You're going to hear false teachings. You're going to be tempted to, to go the wrong way. Be nourished in God's words. I challenge you. I, I would encourage you, if you're one who you don't read Scripture very often on your own, I would encourage you to maybe uh, each day Take a few minutes a day. Read a story. I, I, read about Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If that, then go back and do it again. Keep doing it over and over again. This year, um, in two weeks from now, we're going to be starting a study in the book of Luke. And we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Luke, which is going to take us to 2025, 20, uh, I think. So... Um, <laughs> It's a long book, but we're going to take our time working through the book of Luke. I have read the book of Luke, I don't know how many times I've read it, lots and lots of times. So in preparing and planning for this series that's coming up, I've been reading it over and over again. And can you believe there's a new story that was added into it? I've never seen it before. I mean, I've read the book of Luke, I don't know how many times, and a few weeks ago I was reading it again and I thought, I, when did they add this? One thing I love about Scripture is the more we acquaint ourselves with it, the more God just starts to reveal more and more things. Now, it was probably one of those moments, one of those days, somehow, time and time again, when I got to that, and you know, you read a few chapters, and you realize the only thing I have now is my shopping list, and, and somehow you were able to multitask everything but what you were reading. And, um, but so take it slow. But nourish yourself on the Word of God. Read one passage, one story about Jesus a day. The more you know the heart and character of Jesus, that's a good thing. It fills our soul. It's the air we need to breathe. Now the rest of this part, when he's talking about character, he's focusing on godliness. He, ca- he says, hey, train yourself for godliness. He said bodily discipline is of some value. And this is actually a Greek word, gymnasia. He said going to the gym and working out is of some value. So those of you who are into it, hey, you're biblical. Way, way to go. <laughs> of some value, okay? Not of a most important value. But he says, but godliness is valuable for this life and for the one to come. I was thinking about that and thinking, what if my physical body, the way you end this world, your physical condition was the one you began for eternity. You were stuck with it for the rest of your life. How would you treat your physical body now (laughs) if you knew that this is what I had the rest of my life? I don't know. Maybe it would change. Some of you would say, hey, I'm, I'm totally comfortable. I don't care. That's fine, too. But for me, I thought about that like, wow, this is the word picture Paul has. Physical life is of some value for now, but godliness is valuable today, and it has an eternal impact. The things that really matter are godliness. Now, what's godliness? That's a good church word, isn't it? It, It's something that we can throw out there. Wow, these people look really godly. You may be visiting here at Seacoast. These are godly people. you got to get to know us a little more. But godliness Let's just define it this way. It's the life of Christ on display in you. Godliness is just the character of God on display in you. Why do you think Paul said, nourish yourselves on the words of Scripture? If you want to have godliness, you want to display the character of God, we should know the character of God. So the life of Christ on display in you, and that's not maybe the Webster's dictionary definition, but if we think of it that way, Godliness is the life of Christ on display in us. Now, the last part of this character section is really important. Because that, again, godliness, great. The life of Christ on display, great. But now look at how he ends it in verse 10. For this we labor and strive. This is what we're seeking after. This is the life we want to live. But we can strive for these things because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Notice he doesn't say, we, we can strive after these things and we'll maintain our strength. We'll do fine because we fixed our hope on our ability to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. We're fixing our hope on ourselves. So that makes it easy to labor and strive. <laughs> when we fix our hope on ourselves, that's when we have burnout. That's when we crash. So the fuel is, be nourished by the word of God. And the other fuel here that we see, the air we need to breathe, is put your hope on the living God. Because then we know we have everything that we need for a life of godliness in Jesus Christ. And we know when we fall short, He never falls short. His life on display in us when we move from unbelief to belief in everything that He is, that that's where our hope is found. Our hope is found in Him alone. And that means that every one of our failures, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, will never make us fall out of the reach of a living God. We are, our hope, our faith, our life is secure in Him. Our identity will not be changed based on our whims. Our hope is in Christ. This is when interactive churches say, that's good news, and they interact, and they say amen and stuff like that. Because if your hope is in you, that is bad news. That is not good news. But when our hope is fixed on the living God, that's good news. Because he is faithful when we are not. He is good and strong when we are weak. Everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says this, Seeing God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything we need is in Christ when our hope is fixed on him. We want to have the life of Christ on display in us, but if it's all about our ability to come through, we're going to crash. You can do the right things. You can be heading the right direction. You can look like you're on the right path, but if your hope is ultimately in yourself, you will crash. But when our hope is fixed on the living God, we have the air we need to continue to breathe. So that's the character side. He starts off with character. That's part of discipleship. Now look at verse 11. We're going to continue on. Now he says, prescribe and teach these things, Timothy. This is what we mean by discipleship. Take what you know and keep teaching it. We, as a church, want to be a center for multiplication. We want to be a place where we take what we know and raise people up in Christ. And and take your knowledge of of your journey and help someone else along in, in the journey. That's discipleship. So prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity... Show yourself as an example for those who believe. Now, this is not just talking to young people when he says, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. It was Timothy's particular situation that he was addressing. I I used to love this verse when I was a youth pastor because we had it on the walls. We talked about it all the time. Don't let your youthfulness, don't ever let anyone look down on you because of your youthfulness. That's biblical. That's true. That's true. But it doesn't just apply to young people. And and the older I get, the more I appreciate that. (laughs) Even though I still have some people say, Ryan, you're just young. And I love, I used to hate when people said that. Now I like it. Because I talk to our young adults and I feel like I'm young and cool and I fit in with them. And they're like, seriously? You were in college when I was born. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I get it. The young adults aren't looking down on me for my youthfulness. (laughs) But it's not just about age. I could also say, don't let anyone look down on you for your maturity of age. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're single and you're not married and you think in the church that being married is the standard. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're married but you don't have kids and you look around and maybe that seems like that's the standard. Or don't let anyone look down on you because you are in a blue-collar job, not a white-collar job. See, Paul is addressing his circumstances He's saying, Timothy, don't let the circumstances in your life dictate your character and your living it out. If you are young, set an example through your speech and your conduct, through your love and your faith and your purity. If you are old, set an example through your life, your faith, your conduct, your love, your purity. If you are single, set an example for all the believers. If you are married, set an example for the other believers. Don't let your circumstances dictate your life in Christ. And so Paul is saying, character matters, but now, here's the other thing. Your calling matters. Living out your calling in Christ matters. Not your circumstances, but where you are. Live it out. Look how he continues. He says, Until I come to you, Timothy, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you that was given to you through, through prophetic utterance. And this was people just saying, Timothy, we recognize in you this gift of leadership and teaching, and we pray it for you to have that. He says, verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and your t- teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and those who hear you. This, by the way, a little side note, ensuring salvation is not saying earning salvation. This is giving evidence to the life of Christ in you. You're giving evidence to the work of God that's already happening in you. And that will make a difference in the lives of others. So this second section here is all about living out his calling. Paul said, as a disciple, don't neglect your purpose and your calling and your specifically What God has for you to be. So set an example, no matter what your circumstances, and live out your calling, your purpose. Some of you might be here, and you say, I'm not sure I know my purpose. I don't know how God has gifted me. I don't know the situation that he wants me to live out my faith in. We we actually have a group starting in two weeks. That Rudy group is a great place for you to explore faith with some other people, and one of the sections is, what's your calling? What's your purpose? I would highly encourage you, if you have not been through Rooted, to sign up for that group. Just write it on your Connect card, and after the, the sermon, we're taking the offering, drop that card in the offering, and you can be signed up for the next Rooted group. It's a great way to kind of explore what your purpose is. But Paul said, Timothy, don't neglect your calling. Don't neglect your purpose. Some of you have God-given passions and gifts, and when we neglect them, when we don't use them, you start to run out of the fuel you need because God's made you for something. I think of the time and I, I shared when you know i've worked had the privilege of working in church ministry most of my life, but I've had a season where I worked in in the corporate world and retail world and 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 in that world, you know there was a season when it was fine, it was good it was you know I was able to feel experience success and and it, some of it was really enjoyable to hit goals and get bonuses because I knew if we sell this much and get this, you know, hire these people and all this, that there's really easy things that you can do to experience success sometimes. And I liked that. But a constant conversation I had with my wife was, I just don't know, is this the path I'm going to be on the rest of my life for me? particularly. God has called some of you, as we talked about last week, to be in the business world. That's where you belong. In fact, God calls very few of us to work in a church. If you think you might be, I always tell my kids this, if you think God's calling you into ministry, do everything you can to get out of it, and if you can't get out of it, he's called you. So that's my advice to you, if you're wondering. But there's a season in my life when I was saying, I'm not sure if, I don't know, is, is this what God has made me for? And, and we started attending a church. It was the first time we attended a church that we didn't work at. And I had to go through what that meant to, like, check out churches to see what they're like. Because every church I checked out was, okay, you want to hire me or not? But this one was, wow, this is, I can, I can choose to come here or not. Sundays came and I could choose to sleep in or not. That was kind of cool. But, um, <laughs> but, of course, we never missed. Uh, <laughs> So we started attending for a while, but we weren't involved. We showed up, enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the teaching, and left. Until we realized that God had something more for us. So we attended, which at the this was it was called a rooted group. Can you believe it? Yes, you steal good ideas. That's a good thing. We joined a rooted group, and then we got involved in that ministry, which is a discipleship ministry. And in there, we realized that we had a calling and gifting and purpose. But we were probably getting ready for a crash because we weren't living it out. And God was saying, I haven't made you for what you think. You need to be exercising the gift and the purpose that that I have for you. Some of you are gifted in many incredible ways. God wants to invite you in to live out that calling. Don't neglect that gift and that passion and that dream that he has for you. Remember, it's not about you. It's fixed on His power and His hope and what He can provide. But He's asking you to take that step. So as we come to the end here, I want to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. Because we can look at the life of Christ and what we mean when we say, yeah, here's some of the things it looks like as we've experienced life in Him. This is the calling and the character of, These are evidence, these are marks of a follower of Christ. But still, we need to be reminded to continue to go back to the source. Once we were on vacation down in Mexico and on the Caribbean side, and I went scuba diving in the afternoon and in the morning it started off where we had to do a, a dive in, in the pool and s- just to test the equipment and to uh, you know make sure everyone was proficient and able to do it. And there was one person in our group who seemed a little less comfortable, but he made it through all the steps. And then we went out um, on a reef out in the Caribbean and dropped over the side of the boat and went down. And it wasn't a very deep dive. It was about 15 meters, so still... Uh, relatively close to the surface. But as we got down there, this one person who seemed less comfortable, as soon as we got down to the depth we were staying near to dive, you could see he was super uncomfortable and bubbles flying everywhere, and he gives the hand signal to say, I need to get out of here, I need to go back up. And so he goes back to the surface and gets out into the boat while the rest of us complete our dive. At the end of it, we got back up and kind of asked what happened, what went wrong, And essentially, for him, see, when you scuba dive, it's very unnatural to breathe underwater. Any of you who have done it, you know that it takes a little bit of trust. The first time you go underwater and you have to tell your brain, it's okay to suck in right now. And the first time you breathe in, it takes a little act of trust that I'm getting air in my lungs. And for him, he panicked. And he was holding his breath, though he was hooked up to oxygen. He couldn't trust that he would be okay, so he had to go to the surface. He couldn't take that leap in his mind. And for us, we talked today about we could crash if we don't breathe. Well, some of us need to remember that it takes a little act of trust to breathe in the life of Christ. To say we believe that this life is enough. enough. We believe that if we breathe in the life of Christ and breathe out our life, that that's enough. That that's a life we want to live. Living out our calling is a life we want to live, but it takes a little bit of trust that our God is going to be enough in those moments. And so as we end our time here today, I want you just to take a moment to reflect and maybe for you It's a moment, it's a check-in where you say, God, I want to breathe you in. I've been running on fumes, but I realize because I've been running on what I can provide. And you're ready for, you're heading for a crash. For some of you, maybe today, this is the first time you will ever step out in faith and breathe in the life of Christ. I want to challenge you, if that's you this morning and you're here and you have never taken that step of faith to say, God, I trust you for forgiveness. I trust you for true life. And in just a moment we'll pray and I'll invite you to say a prayer of trust in Jesus. But let's be a church that is heading in the right direction. We're doing the right things. But we're breathing the air we need which is the life of Christ and what he gives to us, not what we give. So let's pray as we end this time. God, we thank you so much for this time this morning. And even as we respond with our hearts, with offering, we respond with our hearts with one final song of pouring out worship to you, God. I ask that in this moment that you would help us to trust you as we breathe you in. And God, for anyone here this morning who's never taken that first step of faith to trust you for forgiveness, to trust you for life, would you speak to them now? And if that's you, would you say this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I don't have all the answers yet. I still have questions. But would you forgive me for my sins? Would you give me your life? And would you... Bring me into your family for all eternity. And Lord, anyone who's prayed that prayer today, would you give them the courage to breathe? And Lord, for those of us who prayed that prayer some many years ago, Lord, would you give us courage to keep breathing you in? Because we want our lives to be all about you. We need you for the journey. We give you this time now.